A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I know you'll be alright, even when times get hard. And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your truthiest life Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. It's your host, Lisa Haim, and I'm so excited to bring Jordan Younger of The Balanced Blonde on this week. I was a guest on her podcast about two weeks ago, so you can check out Soul on Fire podcast and hear the episode where Jordan actually interviews me. That's already out. And why I really love this episode is because I'm really honest with Jordan about my own thoughts about things that she's done in the past. And Jordan is somebody who's been on the internet sharing her life very publicly. And her journey with orthorexia is very similar to mine, where we both abused veganism. And Jordan wrote a book all about it. And then Jordan now has returned to veganism. And as you could imagine, that has stirred a lot up in people who haven't taken time to dissect how could she do that? Doesn't that make her a sellout? And I'm really glad that I stuck by watching what she had to say because it's really important to recognize that no two journeys are the same and somebody else's evolution might look different than ours. And what I really appreciate about Jordan is that every time she changes drastically, she kind of becomes a new individual every few years, it seems. She abandons a lot of people in doing so. And I don't think a lot of people are brave enough to be authentic when they build a following off of eating a certain way or living a certain way. And as much as we want to call people like that sellouts or really throw out everything that they say... I think that there's an opportunity to really check in with ourselves and say, okay, what is this bringing up in me? And, you know, can I respect that her journey is different than mine without name calling or thinking icky things about her? So for me personally, like I said, it brought up things for me. Like I abused veganism. I really related to Jordan's story. She broke veganism, found freedom, and now has returned to it. And she's also had a huge life change, which involved Lyme's disease and deep healing. And that part of her life, I can't relate to. So who am I to make judgments about what her healing process looks like when she's on this next stage of her journey? And I'm glad that I was able to kind of wrangle with my own stuff because I really enjoyed Jordan's content, even though it might not speak to me with somebody who does not have chronic illness. I think she puts a lot of authenticity out there. Does that mean that we are the same person or that we agree on every single thing? It doesn't. But can I respect those differences and appreciate that she's doing herself authentically and showing up, even though that comes with a lot of criticism? I can. 
And that feels really good. And I think that for a long time, the message we've been putting out is to just unfollow anybody who you don't agree with or who you don't understand. And while, of course, you need to create a social media sphere that makes you feel really good, I think we need to back up a tiny bit and just ask ourselves, why am I unfollowing before we actually do? Are all triggers to the same degree? Can some triggers actually help us learn more about ourselves? And are we avoiding diving deeper into ourselves when we just cut somebody off? So like I said, I almost unfollowed Jordan, I'll admit it to her, when I was just shocked to see that she's freaking vegan again. But for me, it was my own judgments, my own ability to understand, my own unwillingness to listen. And it was really fun on this podcast to ask her about that, to say, what the heck happened? And How is this different for you? And I think you'll hear in her voice that it's drastically different. And when it comes to something like orthorexia and veganism, it's not black and white. And as much as I knew that, it pulled something in me. And I'm okay admitting that honestly to Jordan and also telling her that I appreciate her staying authentic to who she is because you know what? It's given me permission to change and evolve. This week on Instagram, I shared an Instagram post. I'll share it with you. And a lot of people really resonated with it. I was not expecting this one to hit home for so many people, but it did. So I wrote a very unpopular opinion. It's okay to change your mind. In fact, it's my personal proof that I'm expanding my mind and really listening. I'm not just cherry picking information that fits into my viewpoint at that time. I've changed my mind on so many things, big and little. And that change of mind, it actually makes me really proud of myself. With introspection and ownership and clarity, I'm not flip-flopping or selling out. I'm expanding my perspective, and this is my evolution. To evolve requires time, getting it wrong, I just added that in, consistent ego checking, difficult conversation, and curiosity over judgment. Not everyone will get it when you change your mind, but when you're true to you, those people won't matter. Expand, evolve, and always keep growing. And this can be taken in a million directions. So in pregnancy, it's been a big one for me, being able to change my mind, to be willing to listen to my own needs, to really be in many situations where I say I won't do something or it's not for me, only to find out that's exactly what I need. And I think if more people were willing to change their mind, they would learn more about themselves and they would show up as actually kinder, softer people. So instead of seeing people who change their mind on things as flip-floppers, as sellouts, can we flag those words to say, okay, is that what's happening? Or are they on their own journey, growing, expanding, perhaps in a way we can't understand just yet? Without further ado, let's jump into Jordan's episode. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. So excited to have special guest Jordan Younger here. We just wrapped up an interview with me on Jordan's podcast, which Jordan's been podcasting for five years. So I was very excited to be on something so established. Um, So by the time this comes out, my episode will be live on Jordan's podcast. I'll link that below in the show notes so you can kind of check out where this conversation started and where we're going to go today. So welcome, Jordan. Thank you, Lisa. I'm so happy to be here. I love your podcast. Thank you. That means so much. Again, you've been doing this forever. Not just doing this forever in terms of podcasting, you have been blogging forever. And in many ways, you've kind of grown up in the public eye, very similar to a celebrity. (laughs) You know, how long have you been blogging, putting your life on, on blast for the public? And how old were you? Yeah, it definitely feels that way, especially because there's so much information out there about me now that I do feel a bit that way. Like, oh God, don't Google me. Please don't Google me. That's what I always say to people. And Jonathan, my husband, was Googling himself last night for the first time and he was so excited. And I was like, what it must feel like to Google yourself and not be horrified of what some of the information might be. But I've been sharing my life online for almost nine years, and this time has flown by. We met, as we talked, kind of at the beginning of both of our blogging journey, and it's just been a whirlwind. So all of my 20s were documented. Now I'm 30, and my life (laughs) has just changed so much. 
I feel like I just am this human guinea pig who's always evolving, always trying things, have definitely been through some difficult times in the public eye, as well as some beautiful times, shared my wedding, shared all these positive things, juxtaposed with some really difficult parts of my life. And sometimes I think, I don't know if it's healthy to share so publicly and to share so heart-centered the way that we talked about. But then again, it's all I know. And also when I think back to as early as middle school and high school, I was the person who was sharing everything on MySpace, buddy profiles, AIM. If you had screen name on AIM, you know. Peanut Butter 5 was mine. Oh, I love it. I had JoJo Younger was my main one, but I had like all these sub accounts as well. And I went to coding and decorating my buddy profile and like listing out what I was doing every day, what I was wearing. So I was actually blogging back then, starting in fifth grade. So I think it's just in my blood. Definitely in your blood to share and put everything in writing. You're a writer first and foremost. But to back up a second, I thought it was so interesting that you used the word horrified to explain how you feel about your life being on the internet. Now I'm curious when you say like, I wonder what it would feel like to not be horrified. Do you mean that you aren't proud of things that you've put out there or rather you've gone through your life publicly and the public's take on you is what's horrifying? That's the horrifying part. I'm pretty proud of everything I've ever shared. I don't think I was ever inauthentic to myself. So even if I don't agree with everything that I did and said, it was super authentic to who I was at the time. It's more, if you Google me, I mean, I'm not sure what comes up, but there are some, you know, death threats out there. There are YouTube videos of me getting beheaded. There are just things that I don't want to see and I don't want other people to see because if someone's looking at my YouTube, sometimes they tell me, oh, the recommended video beneath it was like a death video of you. So that's what's horrifying to me. But I think a lot of people deal with it who are on the internet. It's definitely not unique to me in any way. I think that there has always been a level to surprise that I've found in the way that people either take or revolt to your message. And it usually starts with taking. And then when you move into a new phase of life, it turns into the revolt. But in order to get the revolt, the the beheading of, of you, which is just awful, and the death threats, which I just, I can't imagine, and I've been on, you know, the internet for a long time as well. It's awful, but it really speaks to how far you allowed people into your personal space <laughs> when sharing. Like you said, a lot of people are on the internet and like, yes, it's true, but not everybody is showing up from the depths of their souls, which I guess you kind of always have. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. So I've had to, in recent years, or maybe I should just say this year, now being 30, just in this different phase of life, really examine how I show up and how I let people in. Because I don't just let people in by sharing my soul. I, like you, we talked about this. I try to answer every message. I've tried to answer every email, every comment for all these years. So I find that a lot of people, rightly so, they feel like they know me very well, but they actually don't know me. And, you know, I hate to say that because I, I love to tell my audience, you do know me. We are friends. That's true. But also we don't really know each other. So you don't really know me. So that way, when someone turns, which definitely happens, you know, and, and goes from this love relationship to this hate relationship, they also don't necessarily know what they're talking about or what they hate. Well, they know what they think they hate. So I have had to examine where do I put my energy because I realized after all this time, I wasn't really giving this energy to myself. I was giving it to everybody else, everybody on the internet, the people in my life on the good days, and then, you know, none to myself. And it's funny you say none to yourself because when I look at your page, your Instagram, your blog over the years, it always felt like you were connected to yourself. But at the end of the day, if you're connected to yourself, but you have no guard and no privacy, 
you're too exposed, perhaps? Yeah, just overexposed, definitely. Overexposed. And I I did take really good care of myself, I will say, and was very in tune with myself. But it took me a long time to realize what that really meant and what I really needed. All these times that I thought I had slowed down, I really didn't slow down at all. And all these times that I thought I'm taking all this time out for my self-care, it wasn't enough. I'm sure we'll get into it, but that's what having Lyme disease taught me. And I really believe people get sick with chronic illnesses because they're being called to wake up to something much deeper within them. And it took me about four and a half years to realize what that was for me. Well, realize it, realize it again, realize the deeper depths of it, and then start to take care of myself in a way that my soul was calling for. And that took a long time. All right. We're going to get into that and all the other kind of difficulties that you've endured. But to kind of back up, I think to call you a blogger gives in today's world really doesn't do justice to your talents, which is writing and sharing. And I'm, you know, you said that you've shared on MySpace and an AIM and all the different things that we used growing up. So clearly writing is very natural to you, but it's really interesting because even when I go back and read your older posts, like when I go back and read my older stuff from three years ago, five years ago, longer, I hate the way I speak. (laughs) And when I read your posts, your voice is different then than it was now, but it still feels like you, like you have always had the gift of using words in a way to express exactly where you're at. So even though the context of what you're writing about may have changed as you've evolved, the you comes through so clearly that it's so obvious that like, for me, you've always been like an author, a writer, able to really put into words the human experience in your voice, which is the next level that I don't know many people that have that talent. So I'm just curious, how did you become a good writer? Did you go to school for it? Thank you so much. First of all, that's like the highest compliment that I could receive because that's just my passion and my heart is writing. And it always has been as early as first grade. I was writing storybooks that were like 25 pages long when I was in first grade, when other kids in my class were still kind of learning how to write their letters. And it was always something that I was told from a young age, from teachers, from my parents, this is a gift. And I really hope that you do something with this. And as the years went on in middle school, I got very serious about writing and would dabble in and out with other things, with acting, writing, but everything always very creative. And then I did go to college for writing. I had a brief stint as a theater major, but then I realized this is probably not for me. This is not something I want to study in college. So I switched. I just thought, well, what do I love the most? I love writing. And then I became an English major with a journalism minor. And I just, you know, went all the way through that way. And then when I moved to New York, when I met you, I was in grad school getting my master's in creative writing. And I had started my blog the summer before that. So when I was going into grad school, everybody said to me, you better stop blogging. You better focus on school because we see this blog is quickly becoming something that's taking up all of your energy. And I had reassured everybody, don't worry. I will totally focus on grad school. This has been my dream forever, whatever about the blog. It's fine. And then of course that didn't happen. I got into grad school. I started it. I realized nobody in the New York literary scene, took blogging seriously at all. When I talked about my blog and these poets that I followed on Instagram, my teachers laughed at me and and the students, they were like, there's no such thing as a poet on Instagram and just this huge chip on their shoulder. And I felt pretty out of place. I mean, I, I met some incredible people there and had incredible professors, but I ended up deciding to leave after the first year and pursue my blog full time. So it was always about the writing for me. It was about the health and wellness aspect, which I always loved. That was the topic, you know, at the time and still pretty much is. But it was really about the writing. I couldn't just write a recipe. I had to say, and this is my life. This is this is what happened today. But it's still different than uh, sometimes whenever I'm looking for a recipe, I'll, you know, I'll Google the genre of the recipe and I'll make my way to a random blog where I don't know the person. And there's always a story to go with the recipe. And I always find it kind of forced. Yeah. Like, 
a four story about why the recipe was created, blah, blah, blah. I just want to get to like how to actually make the recipe. I'm not interested in the person. Your writing is not forced. Like even if you're sharing a recipe, there's like a whole energy around it because I think that like a lot of people get into blogging or any career and follow a template mm -hmm. of how to do it. So if you're going to be a food blogger, this is how you write a recipe and this is how you, you know, wrap it up in a bow and put it on your blog where you have never followed a template or gone after becoming something that already existed. So I feel funny. like you've always paved your way, um, which is scary. Yeah. But. Well, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because when I was first, very first blogging, I did kind of try to follow. There were only a few food bloggers out there, especially like vegan food bloggers. So I kind of tried to follow what I saw them doing. And I mm -hmm. tried to make the writing sound like they're, you know, a little bit more forced, like, and this is how I came up with this peanut butter cup recipe. And it was so <laughs> cookie cutter and not interesting. And I think that lasted for about a week. And that and mm -hmm. I was just like, nope, now I want everybody to know about my family and my life and my life in New York. This is what my apartment looks like. And it was very lifestyle, even when it was all about mm. food. Everybody gives the same advice when you're starting any business. Choose a niche, stay focused, you know, look up to somebody else who's doing it and follow their steps. And that has never worked for me either. And I think you've been really successful in figuring out who you are and pivoting there. I think it's just such a wonderful lesson for anybody listening to know that there's not one way to do one thing. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about school and your teachers who are obviously established writers, experienced writers, for them to laugh at you and you not to shut down your blog or even bigger to to not even manage both at the same time to say, no, I'm going to do the blog thing is really brave, I think. Thank you. Yeah, it just felt right. And I've always just been the kind of person who goes off of a feeling and an intuition. And I look back sometimes and I think, what even was it that made me leave necessarily? And then I moved back to California when I left and it was a feeling. I just knew. What year was this? That was 2014. So I just want everyone to really understand that back then, not everyone was a blogger. And I remember my best friend worked at Morgan Stanley. I was in grad school, so my life was still in the school sphere. But I remember my best friend worked at Morgan Stanley and she would talk about how her coworkers would get to work, they'd get to their desk and they'd read blogs. Like there was no open your phone and go to Instagram to find somebody. Like there were, I knew a few people that had blogs, you, something Navy, that I think that's it, honestly, that had real blogs. And it was not what you see today. So I just want to be super clear that when we're talking about a blogger, it was somebody who was putting their life in long format pieces on a specific place where other people had to search them out rather than, you know, open their phone and easily have access to them. Yeah, it was so different. And I actually miss those days. I'm very nostalgic for those days as much as I love Instagram and everything that it's turned into in some ways, not others. I miss those days so much. And there was so much support in the blogging community between bloggers. And we had these things called a blog roll where on the side of the blog, you would link to all your favorite blogs. And there was just so much support. There were forums, just like old school internet pretty much to find each other. And I miss that because it's just not like that anymore. Yeah. It's been a radical change in the last year, like we talked mm -hmm. about on, on your podcast. Mm -hmm. So the one thing about you that I think makes you a really great Truthiest Life guest, and I'm not sure, I know a lot of people that listen probably already know who you are and follow you, but they might not realize how much you've changed since those initial years. And it feels like every two years or so, you kind of take off another layer and become like a whole new person. And I think that we sometimes roll our eyes at people who change. We say, oh, she changed or she doesn't know who she is because she changed. But I've come to really appreciate witnessing your change because it's such a testament that you're not afraid to keep growing and evolving. And I feel like the one thing that people don't realize, it's the bravest thing you can do because it comes with an incredible amount of pain and loss 
to change. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that way? Oh, yeah, that's very true. For me, I mean, it's taken me some time to realize that I even do that because it's so natural for me. And I think if my life wasn't so public, it would probably not be so shocking because, you know, it's just a person going through an evolution. But because I share so much and I've never kept it surface level, I get into those nitty gritties with people. And then I start sharing, well, I had a psychic awakening four years ago and, and that clearly changed everything. And then got very deep into what all of this spirituality really meant to me and then saw how much food and especially healthy food led me to this spiritual journey. And to me, it's all one and it all makes sense. And I think a lot of people who are also on this path of evolution get it and see it that way. But I see how it's very polarizing and very shocking for people who are not used to changing or people who don't want to change or just don't really have the desire to change. And there's nothing wrong with with any of that. So I recognize also in human design, which we talked a little bit about, I'm a reflector, which means that I am a mirror for other people. And reflectors are only 1% of the population. So it's pretty rare to come across a reflector. I know a lot of them in my community, but it's pretty rare. And reflectors can be polarizing. I know very little about human design, and I will assume that most of my audience knows very little too. So bear with us if I ask some basic questions here. But does that mean that when people hear you and see you, they're seeing their own crap come up because you're showing them where they need to do their work? Yeah. So basically the job of a reflector and a reflector can be living an aligned life or they cannot be living an aligned life. And someone who's a very unaligned reflector could be a really hard person to be around for a lot of different reasons. And maybe they're not accurately reflecting others to themselves. But because I've known for many years now that I am a reflector, I do try to live my design. And I try to basically be the clearest, most true version of myself so that I can reflect that back to other people. And even for people in my life, sometimes I think that can be hard because I don't have the gift of keeping things surface level. And I don't have the gift of really letting people pretend that things are fine when they're not. And not, you know, not everybody wants to go deep. And I try to toe that line because I don't give advice where people don't want advice or, you know, but I do see people in their soul. And that's part of this whole reflector thing, but it's part of also just who I am. So people see themselves in me for better, for worse. And being online, that's just only heightened. But knowing that I'm a reflector, and so for your audience, they can look up their human design just by using their birthday and their birth time and their place of birth. It gives me so much permission to be who I came here to be. And I just recommend that everybody does it because we all have our unique design. There's five types. And when you're living for you, and it's not just human design, it's astrology, it's whatever you connect to. It just gives so much permission to be who you are and not try to be someone that you're not. Because I used to try to be someone that I wasn't. I used to be, well, why can't I be like everybody else and just you know, drink alcohol and party and and do and just like stay up and and have no worries and not be so, I don't know, particular about my schedule and my life. But I've come to embrace all these things about myself. I think that a lot of people see you as a free spirit, somebody that just keeps changing and evolving. But I have to imagine that it comes with two things that I admire. One is a bravery to lose followers. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people stay the same, whether they have an Instagram account of 2000 people, 10,000, 100,000, 1 million. But if they lead with a message of, I'm just going to make something up right now. But if they say that eating keto, I'm just going to go something random is the best diet out there. Right. And then suddenly there don't want to be keto anymore. I think oftentimes people stick to whatever their original message was because they're afraid to lose the keto followers that they gained Mm -hmm. and afraid to be a hypocrite and maybe afraid of what it actually means that they no longer live what they said was the best thing. Right. And so people get stuck that way. And I think that's where lack of alignment 
kind of happens for a lot of people in, it doesn't have to just be online. It can be in any career where people are no longer, you know, believing what they're spewing. Exactly. I see it happen all the time and I just don't have it in me to do that. I don't know how people do that. I see everybody's built differently and some people can talk about a message that they're no longer passionate about because that's what their brand is. And that's Mm. fine but I don't have it in me to do that. And I'm just one of those people. I mean, it's why I went so long ago from the blonde vegan to the balanced blonde, because at that time, veganism wasn't what I wanted to talk about. It wasn't resonating for me. And that was a huge, you know, huge shift. And to this day, people are still confused, (laughs) but It's just, I have to remain who I am. And I just hope at the end of the day that that reaches the people that it's supposed to reach. And yeah, I've lost so many followers over the years and I've gained so many others. Well, I am kind of curious to get into this because there is nuance and it took even me a minute to release my own crap I was bringing to the table to understand where you're at and you know, just for to get everyone up to speed, you were the blonde vegan. And then, you know, you built a a blog off of a vegan community. And then you wrote a book called Breaking Vegan, where you exposed orthorexia. Mm -hmm. You and I have spoken about this on your podcast and offline for years. Jordan was the first person that I heard bring orthorexia to life. And the first person that was relatable to me that said, oh, I have an eating disorder that doesn't look like an eating disorder. I don't, those are my words, right. not yours. I apologize if that doesn't feel right for you. No, does that does. feel okay for you? It does. And the, the book was met with, I'm sure, lots of applaud, but like you said, a lot of it backlash from the vegan community who can be kind of cruel when somebody is no longer vegan. Yes. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bringing this whole thing back full circle, you now, I don't know if you're vegan, but you're, you eat mostly plant-based and so forth. Mm-hmm. But this is my takeaway. So I'm curious if this is kind of correct. My takeaway is that orthorexia is really steeped in diet culture and body image and uh, a lack of self-worth and confusion. This is, this is my take. <laughs> Where you're at now, I'm curious, does body image have a hold on you now? No, it doesn't. And I think that might be hard for some people to understand, but with the journey that I've been on getting sick, very sick with Lyme disease, almost losing my life many times and very much seeing what matters and what doesn't. And like, I couldn't move my body for two years. I couldn't exercise. I couldn't do yoga. I couldn't even go on a walk. And when you're in the depths of pain like that, that is very mental, very physical, just so awful in every single way. There's just this release that happens, at least for me. And I've talked to a lot of people with chronic illness who feel similarly, where what my body looks like does not matter at all. (laughs) doesn't fucking matter at all. And so my journey back to being plant-based, it didn't have to do anything with, with what I looked on the outside, except for this horrible eczema, which was also, it wasn't a body image thing. It was like, I can't sleep. My skin is Mm -hmm. bleeding all over every single night for a year. And I also credit, you know, having such an amazing partner, my husband at the time, my boyfriend to remind me at those times when I was at my lowest and feeling like I looked terrible, I felt terrible, that none of this matters. We just need to get you healthy. So I know that that's not everyone's experience who has orthorexia and then goes on their own journey of life, but that happened to be my experience. So what brought me back to eating plant-based was really how do I feel good? And what does my body want? What is my body asking for? And I had to just take all the noise, as you would say, and the truth out the window, because I knew there's going to be so much judgment. I don't want to be vegan again. The vegan community was horrible to me. Like I had these conversations in the privacy of my home and everybody, you know, everybody close to me, my, my healers, my family, they were like, who, who cares? who cares? You got to do what works for you. So I very privately went vegan, plant-based back at the end of 2017. And I didn't talk about it until probably the middle of 2018. And it was not scandalous. And then I saw how much the internet has changed because what was so scandalous about my diet back in 2014, I was so scared that was going to happen again. And then I kind of, you know, quietly said, I am plant-based again, and this is what I'm doing, and I reserve the right to change again, and all these things. Nobody cared. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is this is freeing and also weird because I am used to this being kind of a big topic. And then, of course, over the years, as more people started to notice, there was confusion, which I get. And I've just, you know, I just, I do it for me, and I do what works for me, and it has really personally, it has really helped me heal this anti-inflammatory plant-based way of life. Yeah. And I, I think, like I said, like, I feel like I brought my own initial judgments to that news because like I said, I had a very similar story to yours. And then it was like, wait a second, what you're vegan, you're vegan again. I'm sorry. What, you know, <laughs> I am confused. I'm, I'm wildly confused. And this feels wrong. This feels mm-hmm. wrong. I feel like is what my instinct was and you and I've always had a personal friendship so I I stuck around and I continued to check my own judgments at the door and watch how you've evolved and also paid attention to like what I was kind of bringing into the conversation myself and I think what's really confusing to a lot of people is when it comes to orthorexia and veganism specifically it's not about 
the diet itself. It's about why you're doing the diet and the energy that you're bringing towards it. Yeah, exactly. And the energy could not be more different. And that's a really good way to explain it. Back in my days of living in New York and being very obsessive about the way that I was eating, which led me to discovering orthorexia and realizing that I really related to everything that that was, I was trying so much to just be a healthier, healthier, healthier version of myself in a very obsessive way. I did these long juice cleanses at juice press. And that was kind of like my identity that became really unhealthy. I was afraid of certain foods. And this time around, it's just the energy has been so different. The energy, and I've also learned so much. And I think it's so different to go vegan are plant-based at 27 than it is at 20, the way that I first did. I learned so much and I learned, well, I'm not doing this again. Like I'm going to take the right supplements. I'm going to have the right nutritionist. I'm going to eat a lot of grains and legumes and tempeh and all these things that I wasn't really eating much of the first time around. So it wasn't about the diet. You know, the vegan community has been saying that all along in very harsh ways, but that's true. It wasn't about, I could have been eating anything back in those early 2013 days. It was just my way of coping with my life and difficult things going on in my life with my family and, and living across the country and all these things that just became controlling. Yeah. I just feel like when we go to your account, like, I don't know how to put it into words exactly, but it doesn't feel like you're tied to body image struggles. It doesn't feel like you wake up and, you know, even think about a lot of the things that women think about, even though you occupy a thin, normal, you know, a body that is, you know, similar to mine. So I just feel like taking the body image out of the conversation has really like allowed me to see the path that you're on and see that it's a different path for you right now. Mm -hmm. So thank you for having that conversation because I feel like, I don't know if you've really explored that a lot, but I feel like it's something that people could, you know, when you try to learn about somebody and you find that you were vegan, then you're not vegan, then you're vegan. Somebody's like, what the F, you know? And unless you have a second to listen to this conversation, which my listeners are, it's like, okay, this is starting to make a little bit more sense. And it really is a testament to like just your change, your evolution. And you continuously let go of people's expectations, which I think a lot of people struggle with. Most people want to people please. Right. I'm definitely a people pleaser. So it it is hard. It is hard for me to, I, I just find that I've during this whole journey, I'm always surprised, always surprised to learn that I've really upset or triggered someone. That was always surprising and hard because I was like, wait, no, if you knew all of my intentions and if you knew me and if you really read all the things that I was writing and heard all the things that I was saying, which most people who seem to get very upset or triggered by me are not doing, then yeah, I always just felt very misunderstood in that way. But now with a little bit more distance and just a little bit more growth, I can also see, I get it. I mean, it's easy to get triggered by someone on the internet, especially someone who's, like you said, is changing, is is also like really embracing who they are. And I'm very joyful about my life and my food and the way that I live. And I think also as a reflector, I've seen how that can reflect back to people and so after a lot of years of not being too pleased about that, because I am a people pleaser and I do want everybody to like me and it breaks my heart to find when people don't, I've definitely reached a point where I realize I do attract someone who has experienced quite a bit of growth in their life. So my audience is quite special in that way. And, and so is yours. And every, you know, everybody listening certainly is. It's I do attract people who are not steeped within some of their deepest triggers, if that makes sense. And a lot of people who have gone through pain similar to yours, like your Lyme's journey, you know, which is a big community of people that don't have answers. Mm -hmm. I think you make a lot of people feel seen and you give hope. Before we get to the line, because I do want to get to that, you know, you talk about bringing joy. Your feed has an aura, which is, I think, which is very bright and light and illuminating. 
And when I was reading your blog, you actually surprised me by talking about a darkness that you felt. And I thought it was really surprising because when I go to some people's feed, they could be saying the happiest thing and posting the best recipes or the best fitness workouts. But if they have a dark energy, like I can just feel it. Mm -hmm. And so to hear that you have this darkness in your life at some points or at some seasons or at some points of day was really surprising to me just to jog your memory you talked about waking up and feeling the heaviness of reality and wanting to go back to sleep Mm -hmm. yeah that is mostly due to the physical pain that I've experienced for all these years that is you know still present and completely completely excruciating but I just persist on because I have to I mean it's Lyme is such a chronic thing and I I truly believe that we can heal, that anybody can heal, that we can really start to feel better from the depths of anything that someone's chronic illness could bring to them. But that's what it is. It's it's like four plus years of waking up with this immense pain and knowing I have to face another day with this much brain fog this much physical pain, go spend, you know, exorbitant amounts of money at a, at a doctor's office to get a treatment that may or may not work. That was pretty much my life every single day for many years. And so because I'm sharing food and my happy relationship and my spiritual practice and all the parts of my life that bring me joy, because that is what I like to write about and share about. I also like to be really honest and share this too is happening and this is a struggle. And I think I do have so much joy because I have seen so much darkness. So I think they kind of go hand in hand. I love to hear you say that. And even though you're speaking to people who have Lyme and chronic illness, I mean, I felt heard by that as somebody who struggles with depression and other things. And so I could imagine that Most humans suffer with dealing with darkness on a daily basis, some sort of a pain. The truth is reality is hard for all life. You know, reality is suffering Mm. in some way. Yours has been intense and during an age where most people don't feel sick and, you know, should have been your happiest years of life, getting engaged and married and and all these amazing things that have happened. And so for you, it it was, it came with intensity, Mm. but I really appreciate you sharing that because like I said, you emit so much light, but to recognize that light and darkness exist together really shows that you understand a level of reality that people might not think you understand. Definitely. Yeah. I think people can peg me as a certain type of person, which Mm. I've been used to my whole life. Blonde girl from California, valley girl voice in a way, but people, you know, may not realize until they really do get to know me or they really do read my writing or hear what I have to say. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of intelligence and there's no, you know, it's not black or white at all. And with being sick, I studied Kabbalah a lot and Kabbalah really, really helped get me through. And in Kabbalah, it's all about the duality of the darkness and the light. And that brought me so much peace and so much hope because I was in the darkness at that time, but I saw so much how the light needs the darkness and the darkness needs the light. And so I kind of try to play with that duality every day because not every day is light and not every moment of every day is light. There's light pockets and then there's harder pockets, but they really feed off of each other. And then to also remind myself, the darkness always ends, even when it Mm. doesn't feel like it. And I'm sure when I wrote that blog post, it did not feel like there was an end in sight, especially to what I was dealing with at that time. But there's always an end in sight. And then when I get to the end of some particular cycle, I I try to remember myself and I have post-it notes all over my house and my mirrors and everything reminding me that the light always comes and the darkness always ends. And yeah, I hope that that's a message that will help people listening. Yeah. And when you talk about limes, you said it earlier, but you've used this language a few times that you're really awake now. 
Um, this is after four or so years of not being awake, of, of battling something. But I think anybody listening could be struggling with a chronic illness of some sort or a diagnosis, and they're not in the part where there's any sort of light. I'm just curious, could you explain what it means to wake up? Yeah. So I think it can have a lot of meanings. I think it's different for every person, depending on what their intentions are. For me, the waking up process culminated in a massive spiritual awakening. So when I say awake, I mean it in a very spiritual sense, but I also think that it can mean feeling alive after, after many years of feeling the opposite of alive, specifically people who are struggling with chronic illness. And I just think it means your eyes are very open to the world around you and to growth. And so much of what we've talked about in this conversation, I mean, being able to meet someone and really hear them without bringing all of your own triggers to the table. I think that that is a very awake way of living and just awake to energy. I mean, for me, it gets really exciting to talk about all the beautiful things that I see because I see people's energy. I see people's aura. To me, awake can mean a very, a very big range of things, but I pretty much know when I meet someone, when I talk to someone, if they are awake or if they are you know, on the journey to maybe becoming that way. When I think about some people that I know that got sober after addiction, alcohol, drugs, uh, the thing that changes, which takes a really a, a freaking tough journey to get there, is they're awake after. And they're seeing things differently. They're connected to something bigger. Doesn't mean that there's not that darkness daily that we talked about. But I love that idea of if you're listening and you're in that painful place of whatever it is, maybe it's even going through a divorce, whatever it is, really, that there's an awakening that comes with all this hard stuff. I think you do a really good job of, of positioning that. So you use the word that people peg you as being a certain way just a few moments ago. And I, I think that language really sums up what I was wanted to ask you, but I didn't know how to say it. But whenever there is a chance to make a mockery of a wellness blogger in the media, you are the one that they pull from. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say that I find it frustrating because there are people out there doing really bad things and not complying with FTC guidelines when it comes to branded stuff. And just, they're just not themselves. They're not showing up authentically and they have a platform. Right. And yet they use you over and over again, like to the point where it's like, can we get another blogger in here that we're going to take down? Because like, we've heard this one already. You're like many times. Yes. So the, the media has really used you in really big platforms for years. Like you said, don't Google her. Obviously, everybody has now Googled you by now. And yeah, <laughs> you know, we said not to, uh-huh. so they did. But if you can hold off and, and not for the sake of like voyeurism and, you know, why do you need to see what we're talking about here? How has your relationship to the media changed over the years? Yeah, well, it's changed so much from when I was an innocent, naive, young girl and blogger who thought the coolest thing in the entire world would be going on Good Morning America or uh, Nightline and getting the chance to be in all these newspapers and magazines and publications until I quickly realized that every single experience, my words were completely twisted. And then these salacious headlines were being made out of things I didn't even say. I realized the intentions of the media are so not in line with the way that I show up to the world, which is with honesty. And I think a lot of us, all of us mostly who are blogging and committed to sharing like an authentic version of life with the people who follow us, the media is doing the opposite for the most part. I think there's a couple of, you know, great journalists left over and they need to, they need to be working overtime right now because it's really awful and intense what's happening in the media. And I'm talking about that was back in 2014. And today things are out of control. And I think anybody knows this, who's looked at any headlines, headlines are not they're not true. They're always going to be skewed in a way that is just absolutely salacious and dramatic to the point of no longer being true. 
And it gives me a taste of what big celebrities have to deal with, which I don't even know how a person could go on when you have so many people out there, so many eyeballs just completely misconstruing you and your message and your heart. And so I, I don't speak to the media ever. I mean, I'll, I'll speak to, you know, fellow podcasters and things. I can't even remember the last time that I spoke to a media outlet after I spoke to a media outlet about Lyme disease and was part of an article that was truly, I mean, this person should go to jail. Like it's horrific what they wrote about the Lyme community, about not just me, but doctors about Lyme disease in general. And the reason that I say this is so serious, what this writer did, is that people are dying from Lyme disease. And so if you're going to go out there and say, this is not real, these people are all crazy, it's so dangerous, and it just adds to such a toxic, toxic narrative around chronic illness. You're not helping anybody by saying that for somebody that's going through such pain to then be told what you're feeling is not real is going to now add a mental craziness on top of physical, you know, so is there a way to have a conversation about the, what is Lyme in the body without invalidating millions of people's experiences who are dying of something, let's say it's not Lyme, according to this person, is the worst thing you can do because you've now added the mental health aspect to the picture right. too and created a duality where the, the Lyme community now has to even over-identify with their disease in order to be heard and believed. Right. And that's a whole other unhealthy thing to be doing. And a lot of people end up doing it when they finally end up feeling understood and heard. So after that article, I stopped speaking to the media because it was just, it was my final time of this naivety of sharing my heart, sharing my story, taking hours out of my life to talk on the phone and and to be careful to only say things that are not salacious, that are completely true, that are not dramatic or over-emphatic or anything. And it's pretty horrifying. I mean, it's very horrifying to me. So I stay clear of speaking to the media that doesn't protect me from them writing about me. And that's really hard. In this past few months, you have finally used your voice to speak up rather than just decline. You have spoken up about your experience and what it is, what activated your throat chakra to have the courage to finally say, no media, this isn't how it's going to go down. I think it was the nature of the most recent article that, that made me really take a stand. It was so upsetting to read. I mean, it was like physical poison in my body. When I started reading this article, someone told me, just so you know, you're part of this article. Well, I didn't even think twice. I'm like, well, that happens every day. I click on it. I didn't think that I was the intro and the headline and the first five paragraphs and, you know, that the person didn't speak to me and that these things being said are all that are, they're all truths taken so far out of context that they're not true and just so cruel. And just to me, because I do see energy, I see, oh my God, the person who wrote this has a very deep-rooted personal issue with not just me, but with wellness in general. And that's what I'm talking about here. So of course, the whole article is about wellness being a dark place. Mm. And that was, that was like reading poison to me. It was a horrible feeling, the most violating feeling. The way I've heard other people describe it is like, it's like someone coming into your home and stealing all of your belongings and then leaving. That's what it feels like. It's so violating. And you don't get a chance to even say something back. Right. Yeah. It's not like there's ever any type of, and Jordan denies all of these claims, you know, which is actually how media used to work. But yeah. Only in recent years has that changed. There was a law that where media had to be unbiased. And if, if there was a biased opinion, there had to be the other side. And that's not how it is anymore. So I took legal action and I was very public about taking legal action because not only has this happened to me so many times, this has happened to people I love so many times. And, and some people don't have the strength or the kind of, they don't have it in them to then keep going. 
they, they're just like, that's it. I throw in the towel. I'm done. And that's not who I am. And also I know that's the intention of these writers. And so I'm never going to do that. <laughs> like this is only my fire to share more. So from legal action, do you have to, is this an ongoing thing? Well, at this point, I mean, the unfortunate thing is I wanted to take legal action, even though I knew there's very little chance we can really win. It's very little chance because freedom of speech, like people can say whatever the F they want. And that's the scary thing. So I wanted to take it really as like a physical boundary, an energetic boundary, a line in the sand as well to show the writer, to show the publication. What you're doing is so unethical that I will take the time and you will take the time to review this and get your legal team involved because this is not like this is not journalism. I studied journalism. This is not journalism. This is so outrageously untrue and just so not okay. So I was really happy to have done that. And, you know, as my lawyer, let me know, there's a very, very small chance, but these people will know now you're not the person to mess with. Right. They'll take a moment before writing something, you know, so intense about somebody without fact checking Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, the ethics are behind journalism that used to be somewhat upheld. Yes. I'm just curious in all these years, has there ever been a media journalist or someone who, or somebody that just used the platform like YouTube or something to, you know, behead you, like you said in the beginning, or some do some, say some nasty things to you that have then apologized in all these years? Has anyone ever come around and actually tried to make amends for it? No. I think a couple people who were following me who said, I'm really sorry, I had this judgment of you, or I sent this mean message, but that's as far as it's gone. It's never, ever the media. And I will say years ago, I was part of some wonderful articles in the media. There was an article in Self Magazine that was this beautiful spread. And I flew to New York and got to be part of this incredible photo shoot. That was all so fun. And those writers, they were all women. They were so, so kind. Everything was truthful. That was awesome. But the sad thing is, I don't even think I would do that. I wouldn't do that now because I just don't trust the media as it is today. I would not be surprised if somewhere down the line, somebody does apologize to you. And I'm curious how you would handle that. Me too. What I will say is I'm a very forgiving person, notoriously forgiving. I would love to see an apology. I would love to see what it said. Well, keep us posted if that ever happens, because it would also just show that people are capable of what I hope people are capable of, which is not just being regretful of things that they do, but taking ownership and showing back up to the person that they hurt and saying, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And I too am very forgiving. And I've had not media people, you know, do that for me, but um, I've been that person and I've received it. And it it is so energy clearing in that moment (laughs) that it's it's worth it. I think it it would be beautiful closure for me Mm. if anyone were to ever do that. Well, I hope you get that. Me too. So the last question I have is just about Jonathan, who your husband, he's been a big part of your healing. How has he been a big part of your physical healing? And where do you think you'd be without him? Well, I mean, he's amazing. And I'm so grateful to have him. I really don't know where I would be without him. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how I would have dated having Lyme or anything. So first of all, I'm just very, very grateful that he has been in my life for since before that started happening. And he's just a gift. He's such a good, wonderful person and such a good, wonderful soul who sees me in my soul. So when I'm having a bad day or like I was saying, when I just felt and looked sick and I felt terrible... He would just say to me, are you crazy? You're beautiful. You've never looked better. And he prefers me when I don't wear makeup. He prefers when I'm just in my sweatpants laying around the house with our cat Hudson. And he's also very wise. He's very wise beyond his years. And he has this incredible ability to remind me of of all of my intentions when I forget them, when I'm like glued to my phone and he takes my phone out of my hand and says, don't you remember all your intentions of, of not getting lost on Instagram? And of course I fight him in the moment and I'm like, no, I need it right now. But he's just wise and he just, he just knows how to take care of me. And also he, he blows me away because I don't know 
what it would be like to be with someone who has had all of these health difficulties over the last few years. And it just doesn't phase him. It doesn't phase him. I've said things to him. What if I'm like this forever? What if I, what if we're like in and out of the hospital forever? And he's like, then I would be lucky to be with you. I mean, if to go through that as a boyfriend turned fiance turned husband in your 20s. It's not the conversations that most 20 year olds are having with each other or the day to day activities. Mm -hmm. So it really does speak to his like I think you say his old soul and your old soul. Mm -hmm. Like you've you've been caretakers for each other. I'm sure you back to him in other ways. In your 20s, I could only imagine how that will be enriched as you do get older and you know, whatever comes with that. Hopefully you guys get some pockets of feeling really physically good together and you can really enjoy what, you know, most 20 year olds get to have. Exactly. Yeah. I think now is, now is, is that time for us, which is beautiful and so exciting. And I'm just so ready to feel good and to enjoy life with him. And he always feels good. So he's an inspiration to me in that way. Yeah, he's so full of energy and I feel like he's never gone asleep. He's just awake at all times. Literally, <laughs> he doesn't require very much sleep. He does not be more opposite in that way. What's his birthday? He's July 24th. So he's a Leo. He's a Leo. Yeah, okay. he's a Leo. My dad's a Leo. I have a lot of Leos in my life. And we think that baby S is going to be a Leo. Yeah. Can, definitely that that energy of kicking me all day. So I think you're right. <laughs> I think you know. A mother's intuition knows. We'll see. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for your time and your energy, your emotional energy as well to kind of visit these deep places that you've probably pocketed for a while. I don't know if when you go on other podcasts, people are asking you about 2014 and 2015. I hope that felt okay for you. And I feel like I just wanted to cover as much of the big picture you as I could so that you will be less pegged as the person that you're not mm -hmm. and more understood that there's nuance to all of us. Yes. No, I appreciate that so much. This was such a wonderful conversation and I love, I just love talking to you and I love your style of interviewing and I love your honesty. You're really good at this. Thank God I do because I mean, I haven't spoken to anyone in person in a year and a half. So this is like only mm -hmm. <laughs> keeps us connected and intellectually stimulated a bit, you know, a few times a week. But really, like I said, you change and you evolve and you do the hard thing that most people don't do. And that's what I admire most about you. I admire so many things about you, but in so many places where people get stagnant and stuck because of what other people think or their inability to get through their own stuff about what they think about themselves, you power through. And if we see somebody else doing that, I think we have the courage to do so ourselves. Thank you so much. That means so much. We'll link all of Jordan's info below, her podcast, which is amazing, her blog and her Instagram. So Yay. thank you, Jordan. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.